There we go. Uh, let's see. 1 Corinthians 11, I believe, is what I'm wanting. I'm sorry, 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Put a hand there. We'll be there in a minute. In uh, Psalm 18. 1 Corinthians 12 and Psalm 18. Psalm 18, we'll start reading in verse 20. Psalm 18, verse 20. The Bible says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. That doesn't sound much like Paul, does it? Paul didn't talk much about his righteousness. But he did say, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. And David does have the law here. So if he's trying to keep the law, he can call it my righteousness, according to Paul. But uh, as you and I know, David wasn't always real clean, was he? He's a good man, had a good heart, but he messed up. Verse 21, For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not uh, put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. Alright, now look over in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. I'm 2 Corinthians. I didn't think that was right. Second Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envies, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. I'm going to preach tonight on the saints striving for sinlessness. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you come down and meet with us and talk to us, Lord. And, uh, David in the Old Testament there, though he was not perfect, did have a heart that was for you and uh, kept him out of a lot of trouble. And when he did get in trouble, it's because that's where he messed up and that's where he had sinned. And Lord, here in the New Testament, Paul is dealing with the Corinthians and uh, fussing at them and Telling them that uh, there's some things they need to repent of. Lord, here at Victory Baptist Church and Brother Bob Schoolfield, there's some things uh, that I need to repent of. And there's some sins that crop up in my life. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn some practical things tonight that help us strive better for sinlessness in, in our Christian lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to say tonight, Paul is speaking almost threateningly to these carnal Corinthians. He said, I'm afraid I'm going to come there and find you like I don't want to find you. And if I do, you're going to find me like you don't want to find me. <laughs> he did not hesitate, buddy, to tell you that he was going to let you have it if he thought you needed it. 
Reminds me of that time when Jim Lentz came and preached for us down there when I was at PBI. And he got up there, and I never had heard him, and I guess some others hadn't, because he said, uh, I see some of you looking up here at me like, can he preach? And I'm sitting down there up here looking down at you and saying, can they take it? <laughs> and by the time it was over, honey, I can tell you, we couldn't take it. <laughs> I, was, I remember that sermon. Somebody reminded me of that just this week. But uh, Paul did not hesitate to let some of them have it. And he's, he is demanding repentance from people in church. <laughs> let me tell you something, folks. We're saved. And we trusted the Lord as our Savior. And thank God we repented of the way that we were thinking before we were saved. But let me tell you something. You still have an old flesh. And your, your mind still gets going the wrong way. Oh and it's a good idea for you to do some repentance. Oh, there's Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom, do not stop. Forget to stop by my house. I've got something of yours that you've left over there, and I keep forgetting to give it to you. Um, <laughs> We're in formal church. Scripture first. Oh, man. Uh, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> but you will have to admit there's a real difference between the way Paul talks and the way David talks. David's over here saying, the cleanness of my hands... According to my righteousness. And almost bragging on himself. And him with all those wives and some of the trouble he got into. And about killed a bunch of people one time. And Abigail had to talk him out of it. I mean, David had some pretty serious lapses. And Paul, of course, allows for no, no such thing. There is a difference when Jesus died on the cross in the way things were figured. There is a difference between the law and grace. There's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a reason even your most basic Bible student knows an Old Testament from a New Testament. But having said that, they both do agree that keeping oneself from sin is a personal choice. If you're here tonight you're having trouble with sin, it isn't that you don't have a good enough preacher, although I admit you don't. It isn't that you don't have a good enough family. It isn't that you don't have a good enough country. It isn't that you don't have a good enough whatever problem is you just ain't decided to do it. Yeah. And when you get dead serious about doing it, uh, you can stop. Amen. Bible says if we sin, we have an advocate of <laughs> our Father. Well, why would it even say if, if we didn't have a choice? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We do have a choice. And you can keep yourself from sin. Uh, David says it's a personal sin. He says I kept myself from mine iniquity. Everybody in here has one or two or three that just wear you out and you just can't seem to get over it. And you have two or three others that somebody else struggles with and you just don't understand what the draw is to it. Aren't there some sins that some people you know and love are involved in and you go, what do you get out of that? <laughs> That's not a temptation to you at all. But don't you get self-righteous because there's two or three you've got that they don't. <laughs> uh, it's personal. Uh, but David does say that God rewards righteous living. Let me tell you something. The less sin you're involved in, the less trouble you will have. So I want to look at some things. Uh, just got two points tonight. Now I got a bunch of sub points. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I need to teach you, preacher boys. We need to have a lesson on sub points. That's my specialty. <laughs> but I just got two points. Number one, why to strive for sinlessness? It's important. And number two, how to strive for sinlessness. Amen. That's good. We've got several things we'll talk about here. All right. Number one, main reason you ought to strive for sinlessness is because the sins of the saints 
bring blasphemy on God and his word. We do not want blasphemy to come on God, do we? It's a horrible thing. And uh, the main sin that gets God blasphemed and gets people despising God is when a Christian can't live according to authority. Yeah. Find you a righteous, godly authority and submit to it. We live in a day where we throw off authority. Don't let anybody control you. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. And so, of course, as you know, the Word of God would be 100% the opposite. And it says, find you a godly authority and you submit to it. I, I believe in freedom. The Baptists have always been great friends of individual, civil, and religious liberty. Amen. But we have not been lawless. We believe in rightful government authority. We just don't think the government ought to tell you how to worship because we think that comes from a higher authority than government. Amen. But on how fast to drive your car, you ought to go by the law. Amen, Baptists. Amen. <laughs> on uh, how you handle your money, you ought to go by the law. You ought to follow some rules. It really distresses me how many Bible believers are saying, oh, let's get rid of these rules. Christianity isn't a set of rules. Uh, submissive people have no problem going by rules. I guess I must have just had unusually strict parents, and I know I had unusually strict Christian schools, and I have no problem with following rules. Now, I don't do them perfectly, <laughs> but they don't make me mad. I guess I got used to them early on. That, that bothers me. Uh, one thing that will cause blasphemy and distrust and looking down and despising God is when Christians can't submit to authority. Listen to these verses. Titus chapter 2. Speaking of older ladies talking to younger ladies. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know why the women ought to be all these things in this list, submissive and obedient to their own husbands? That the word of God be not blasphemed. It's not that we're male chauvinist pigs. It's that the word of God be not blasphemed. When you see people have trouble submitting to authority, that looks bad on God, according to Titus 2.4. And of course, when you preach like this, people get all mad at Brother Bob. He's one of those that thinks, Brother Bob doesn't think nothing. Brother Bob just read you a verse of scripture out of the King James Bible verbatim. I didn't write that. My great-grandparents weren't even born when that was written. That doesn't have anything to do with me. You got a problem with God's word, not Bob Schofield. Hey. You have a problem with that. But that's what the book says. You know why you ought to strive for sinlessness? Because it looks bad on God when you don't if you call yourself a Christian. Amen. Titus chapter 2. Here's another one. This will make some people mad. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Did you hear that? Now don't misunderstand. I don't like slavery. I'm glad I live in a country that does not have slavery. I'm against it. But 
If you are in a situation where you are under authority, you're supposed to obey them. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Again, that's not Brother Bob's opinion. That is 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2 that I didn't write. I'm just the messenger. When you have trouble with authority, you have trouble with God. Amen. causes his name and his word to be blasphemed. Get over your not wanting to be under authority. Find you a godly authority and submit to it. Will they be perfect? No. But the word of God says to do it anyway, that God doesn't get blasphemed. Alright, uh, number two. Here's the next reason to strive for sinlessness. Not only because it Sin uh, brings blasphemy on God and His Word, but also because it grieves God's Spirit. I preached recently on my therapist. I told you who my therapist was. It's the comfort, the Holy Spirit of God. There is nobody comforts like the Holy Spirit of God. I remember when I was 12 years old and we moved from Virginia Beach where Dad had been in the Navy back here to Tennessee. And don't get me wrong, I love Tennessee. I'm a Tennessean. All my kinfolk are in Tennessee, and I was so happy to be around family again. But you know what? I spent my whole life up to that point in the beach. That's where all my friends was, and that's where my school was, and that's where my church was, and that's where my neighborhood was. And it broke my little heart. I remember laying in bed at night, crying and sad, and missing what had been my home ever since I could remember. And I said, Lord, comfort me. And down came that like a warm, heated blanket over my heart and just comforted me. And I learned at that young age, when you need comfort, you go to the Lord. And I figured out later it was that indwelling Holy Spirit that did it for me. So you know what I want to do? I do not want to offend or grieve the Holy Spirit. He has comforted my heart too much. I love Him. I appreciate Him. If you've had a mother or a grandmother or some real dear family member that you love very dearly doesn't it just hurt your heart to think of hurting their feelings saying something mean to them and making them cry wouldn't that just tear you up well how much more should you feel that way about the Holy Spirit the comforter and when we sin you know what it does it grieves the Holy Spirit of God Ephesians chapter 4 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. We should not want to grieve the Spirit of God. You know why you shouldn't sin, saints? Because it brings blasphemy on God and His Word, and the last thing we need is anybody else blaspheming God. You turn on today's entertainment, they take God's name in vain all the time. It's ridiculous. Last thing we need to do is add to that. And secondly, because it grieves the Spirit of God. Alright, here's the third reason that you should strive for sinlessness. Because saints' sins hinder prayers. When you try to pray and you've been living in sin, it just isn't the same. It is just not the same. Bible says in Psalm 66, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Zechariah chapter 7. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, 
lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, so they cried and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. When my little son Nathan was born, my little son, he's 26, but when my son Nathan was born, he was little at the time. <laughs> and uh, as he was uh, getting all up to be about a toddler and we was trying to communicate with him and uh, we'd try to tell him what he needed to do so it wouldn't hurt so bad if something was hurting him or something. He'd get crying and he would scream at the top of his lungs. And as his little mouth would open all the way and he would let out a full scream, it was so loud in his ears he couldn't hear what we were saying to him. And in a similar way, when you sin, it gets to where God can't hear you. And uh, we've read Psalms, we've read Zechariah. Uh, you better watch your sins and then break your relationship with God where you all can't hear each other. You've been in places before probably where it was real loud in there and you could barely talk to the person right beside you. That is not a good place to be between you and God. Here's one that probably isn't preached uh, enough. 1 Peter chapter 3, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. It hinders your prayers when you don't give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel according to 1 Peter chapter 3. God gets involved in that stuff. Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You know why you saints ought to be doing everything you can to get rid of all the sin you can in your life? And don't get me wrong, I'm not claiming that you'll reach sinless perfection. I'm not trying to say that tonight. But you can do a lot better than you do sometimes. Amen. One big reason is it'll hinder your prayers. From time to time in your life, from time to time. Every day of your life, you need to get a hold of God. Sometimes more importantly than others, it'll seem to you. All right, now here's a real good one. Uh, you should strive for sinlessness because saints' sins guarantee future trouble. God said to Adam and Eve, he said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. From the very beginning of that Bible, God says that when you disobey, when you sin, I guarantee Future trouble. He didn't say, as Eve quoted it later, uh, neither shall we touch it lest we die. No, honey, there's no lest to it. <laughs> he said, thou shalt surely die. Now let me tell you something, victory. When you sin, I guarantee it will come back to bite you, as we said in the video. And I guarantee that, not because it's my opinion, but on the testimony of the word of God. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Every time you plant the seed of a sin, there is a plant of sin coming up from that. 
Galatians 6, 7 is clear. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's up to you what you plant. Numbers 32, 33, a verse often quoted along these lines says, Be sure your sin will find you out. I guarantee it. Your sins don't make it likely that there will be some trouble. I promise there will be some trouble. Now, thank God he has grace and he has mercy, and I sure haven't paid the full price for every sin I've ever committed. Thank God for it. But it hadn't helped. I didn't get by with it. There was trouble. If nothing else, it at least made the next sin easier, which did bring some trouble. Amen. I'll tell you how the Bible... I was talking to Earl Ankrum just recently. Just a couple of nights ago, I think it was. And uh, he said, here's what the problem with these, a lot of these Bible believers. They'll do something and nothing happens right then. And so they think they're okay. And they do it again and again and again and again. And next thing you know, you've got a habit, you've got a pattern. And it brings untold damage. Don't sin you think you got by with it, you're just kidding yourself. Be sure your sin. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It guarantees future trouble. I'll tell you something else. Saint sins often lead to the destruction of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. When you picture the word destroy, what do you picture? Uh, it's not getting a splinter in your finger. It's not stubbing your toe. Destroy is a bigger word than that, isn't it? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, or somebody had gotten in some bad sin there in church. So I'm not going to that church. They've got this, that, and the other. Let me tell you something. God's churches have had messes in them from the beginning. And even before it was the church as we know it, when it was just Jesus in the synagogue, we had that man possessed with an unclean spirit in there while Jesus was teaching. Let me tell you something, folks. You don't get a bunch of people together in the place to be perfect. I don't care if Jesus is up there teaching. It's just not the way it works. So in came some sin in that Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 5. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Do you hear what Paul was saying? He said, all right, just deliver them unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. <laughs> Good night. When's the last time at the, at the mega church they said, okay, go ahead and get him, devil? <laughs> That's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, when you open up that Bible, it's a little different than they teach it at some of the popular places, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the, I, I'm not sure I completely understand what all that means. But I know it isn't this. I know it isn't let's go buy his lunch. <laughs> the destruction of the flesh, man, that's not good. So that's why we should strive for sinlessness. 
Because when we sin, it brings blasphemy on God and His Word. It grieves God's Spirit. It hinders prayers. It guarantees future trouble. And it determines the destruction of the body in many cases. Alright, so let's, let's get real practical now. Let's, let's look at how to do this. How to strive for sinlessness. Alright, number one. Bible reading. Mm -hmm. Folks, this is a Bible-believing Baptist church. Read your Bible and read it every day. My buddy Joe, that I've had you pray for many times on Wednesday nights, has been texting me just like, let's see, last night and this morning, I guess it was, telling me about his Bible reading plan. And he's reading, I think, if I remember correctly, four chapters every day, six days a week, and on that fifth, on that seventh day, he allows himself to just read whatever he's interested in studying. And he's real excited about that. And he was telling me how that the best years of his life were years where he did a lot of Bible reading and read through the whole Bible in a year. I said, Amen. Here's, here's step one for striving for sinlessness. Bible reading. I think it was just last week we preached from Psalm 119.9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You know what that means? You need to read his word. Bible reading. You will not do very good in striving for sinlessness without reading the Bible. The old timer wrote in his book, uh, in his Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Read your Bible every day. Don't you get up in the morning, Christian, and not read the Bible. Now, I'm not saying you have to read a whole book. I'm not saying you have to sit there for hours. Some people have. Amen. If you can, praise the Lord. But read you a chapter or two or three, or like my buddy Joe, four. Read you some. They say, well, what good will that do? I may not understand it. You've heard the old illustration of the person when they were hauling buckets to try to put out a fire in the old days before they had running water. And all these people were taking buckets of, of water and trying to put out the fire. And this guy had a basket. And he was trying to carry <laughs> water in the basket. Of course, it was just all leaking out. And they said, you can't put out no fires that way. He said, yeah, but... Sure did clean my basket. <laughs> well, that's kind of a stupid story, but let me tell you about the Word of God. Even if you're not putting out the fires of hell for anybody, it'll sure clean your basket. Uh, Jesus said it this way. Sanctified, and you know what sanctified means? Right. Being set apart for something, for God. And he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. So step number one in striving for sinlessness is Bible reading. All right, here's the second one. Promise claiming. When you get reading the Bible, notice the promises in there and claim them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here's a great one. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Amen. You get faced with the temptation, say, Lord, give me the escape. Yeah. God, I need a way out. I'm in a bad place here. Give me a way to escape. There have been times I've prayed that, and just to be real frank with you, didn't really even mean it all that much. Yeah. I was kind of okay with the sin I was in. <laughs> but I still prayed it. And you know what? It wasn't long. And the Lord gave me a way out. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not recommending insincere prayers. I'm confessing my sin when I say I did an insincere prayer. 
or a halfway sincere prayer, I guess I can say. But that's what the promise says. Have God show you the way out. Here's a great promise. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. You suffering from some fear, some worry, some anxiety? We all get that, especially some of you ladies. Am I telling it like it is? Amen. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. There's a great promise. Quote that one to him. Amen. Give it to him. Casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. Promise claiming. So Bible reading, promise claiming. Here's a good one. Dead reckoning. Romans 6, 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Say, look, I'm dead to that. I'm not going that way anymore. That did not work for me. That brought me grief. That brought me sorrow. That brought me addiction. That brought me pain. That brought me whatever. I am dead to that. I can't do that. I can't look at that. I can't listen to that. I can't think that way. I can't steal that. I can't, whatever, whatever the sin is, consider yourself dead to it. I was watching that old uh, shark Whatever that movie is about, that TV show is about those uh, high-earning businessmen. They call it Shark Tank, I think. Yeah. And uh, one of those guys was making a good business deal offer to some people, and they turned it down. He said, okay, I'm moving on. And the way he would say that is, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. <laughs> that was his moving on. I thought, hmm, that sounds a lot like the Bible. I'll tell you what, you ought to be, you ought to be dead to some Amen. There ought to be some things that used to have a hold of you. You're dead to them now. You have died. But now Paul said this. He said, I die daily. <laughs> You're going to have to die to them more than once. Now there will be some things that, thank God, you, I guess you could say get the victory over and you just turn off the temptation they used to be. But there are some things, buddy, they're going to keep coming back and you're going to have to keep crucifying the flesh. You're going to have to keep mortifying the flesh. You're going to have to keep dying to it. So Bible reading, promise claiming, dead reckoning. Here's a good one. We talked a little bit about it this morning. Instant praying. Pray real quick. Sometimes we read about the old timers and how they'd get up and pray for two hours in the morning and that's a great thing and if you can get there, praise the Lord for it. But don't just quit your praying because you can't pray for two solid hours. Okay? We, we talked this morning about how all that thief on the cross said is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a real good short prayer, and it has changed eternity for who knows how many people. Uh, another good example of this is there in Nehemiah, when the king said, For what dost thou make request? And the first thing it says about Nehemiah is, So I prayed to the God of heaven. He had the king standing right there in front of him. He had to give him an answer right now, and he still had time for a prayer. Uh, don't discount the power and importance of real short prayers. Say, God help me. Lord save me. I'm sure he said, Lord give me wisdom as to what to ask for here. And he got everything he asked Amen. for. And he could go and he could stop anywhere for supplies on the way there. He could stop at Lowe's or Home Depot. 
or I'm sorry, Ace Hardware, uh, one of these places, and all he had to do was show them the king's letters. And he could have any building supplies he wanted, any food he wanted, whatever he needed. Boy, that worked. And all he had time for was a few seconds of prayer before he had to answer the king, who he was already looking in his eyeballs. <laughs> when you get uh, beset with a sin, or at least a temptation to sin, remember you can pray real quick to God. Romans 12 says it this way. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, continuing what? Instant in prayer. Instant. You know what instant is? Right now. So you want to strive for sinlessness? Do some Bible reading and some promise claiming and some dead reckoning and some instant praying. Ephesians 6.18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Instant praying. All right, now here's a great one. Now this is a biggie. The, the old timers used to talk about that. We, this, we don't talk about it near enough anymore, I, I don't think. But the Bible says, uh, talks about pleading the blood. Let's see here if I've got my verse on that. Um, let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse, well let's get verse 13 to get the full sentence here. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Dr. Ruckman, when he would read that, he would stop right there on that word purge and said, there's your purgatory, it's not fire, it's blood. <laughs> Isn't that a blessing? Hey. That, that blood of Christ, you know what it'll do? It'll purge you. Yeah. It'll clean you. And uh, Dr. Ruckman, when he was first saved, you know, he had come out of a real rough life. And he, he just lived an ungodly life. And the details were rough. And if you, if you read his autobiography, it's, it's, it's pretty tough for somebody that uh, served the Lord as long as he did in the early days. It was, it was pretty rough. And he was involved in all kinds of drinking and blasphemy and cussing and fornication, just everything. And uh, when he got saved, he, he said a great big devil went out of him. <laughs> that was the best way that he described it sometimes. And uh, he said he was dealing with a person, I think it was at a rescue mission, and he said, boy, somebody came up like you, man, you just got to plead the blood. You just got to plead the blood. Well, he was a new Christian. He didn't know what that meant. He said, what do you mean, plead the blood? He said, right, you just got to plead the blood, man. And he didn't know what he meant. But he remembered it. Well, one of the things Dr. Ruckman was, was he was a great artist, and uh, he, could picture, he could picture in his mind a picture so he could put it on canvas. And that's just an amazing thing to me. I, I, I can think words, and I can think musical tunes, but I can't think pictures. I cannot, put a, I cannot form a clear picture of something in my mind. It's, uh, at best, it's vague and, I guess you would say, blurry. But the great artists say that they have a picture in their mind and then they just draw the picture in their mind on the paper. That's amazing to me. 
But now the problem with that is, if you're real good at putting pictures in your mind, uh, let me tell you about the human flesh. It can put dirty pictures in that mind. Oh, yes. And he had some dirty pictures in his mind from some stuff he had done and seen. So here he'd be trying to pray, and uh, you know the, the old saying is the devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. And Dr. Ruckman used to say, that ain't true. The devil get right down beside you while you're trying to pray. <laughs> and he said he'd be trying to pray, and all of a sudden, big, bad, dirty scenes and remembrances and horrible pictures he had seen in the past were there. And, you know, it, it, it would distract you from praying. It kind of gets you out of the mood to pray when you're seeing filth in your mind. And he didn't know what to do, but he remembered that rescue mission worker saying, you've got to plead the blood, you've got to plead the blood. So here's what he did. He just blew that stuff up in his mind's eye to where it was just a big, huge movie screen of total filth. And then he said, I plead the blood on that. And boom, out it went. And ever after that, Dr. Ruckman preached pleading the blood. Now let me tell you what to do, Christian. you got some sins in your life. You got some deceit, you got some gossip, you got some backbiting, you got some bad attitude, you got some lust, you got some stealing, you got some dishonesty, you got I don't know what all you got, but you got plenty of sin in your heart. Let me tell you what you do. When it starts bothering you and it starts to come, say, Lord, I plead the blood on that. You know what? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You struggling with sin? Let me tell you the number one fount to get that cleaned up, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when that stuff is in your mind and in your heart and in your eyes and in your ears, say, Lord, I plead the blood on that stuff. And that is what we mean by pleading the blood. Because Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead work? your conscience ever get bothering you because of some stuff you've done and thought and said? Boy, it does if you've got a conscience at all. Well, have the blood of Christ purge it. Blood pleading. All right, now here's a real good one, and uh, we try to emphasize this as much as we can, especially toward the end of the year. Romans chapter 1 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now what led them to get, go further into sin? In Romans chapter 1, they go so far in sin, they're getting into the perversions that you're seeing in our country right now. And among the young people, that's what alarms me the most. In the old days, you take the old perverted stuff, you keep it away from the young. You ask them what they're talking about in the schools around here. It's horrible. It's horrible. But how did they get that way? The Bible says three words in the middle of Romans one twenty one. Neither were thankful. So not only should, uh, for striving for sinlessness, not only should you have Bible reading and promise claiming and death reckoning and instant praying and blood pleading, but you should have thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. When gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless, Bob Jones Sr. said. If you can't be thankful, there is something wrong. Amen. 
Let me tell you somebody that's about to fall into big sin. Somebody that is always complaining. Especially in the United States of America where we can eat whatever we want and have about any entertainment we want and have all the comfort we want. And I mean, we fuss and complain if our chairs aren't comfortable enough and our pews aren't comfortable enough and the heating and air isn't comfortable enough and my water isn't comfortable enough and the entertainment isn't fun enough and the rides aren't exciting enough and the ball game... The ball team doesn't win enough. <laughs> I mean, and we're not fed full enough. I mean, it's ridiculous. Amen. Amen. And we got it better than about anybody that's ever lived in this earth. Amen. No wonder we're in so much sin and perversion. Amen. Neither were they thankful. So what happened? They became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. When you deal with somebody that can't be thankful as good as we have it, you're dealing with somebody that can't be reasoned with. Their heart is about to get darkened. Thanksgiving. All right, here's a good one. Stay busy with. Soul winning. Many a time, I've uh, been struggling with things, and I looked up and realized I hadn't done anything for the Lord in a while. I hadn't talked to anybody about God for a while. I hadn't identified with His cause for a while. Soul winning is a wonderful thing. Daniel chapter 12, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You won't be somebody that's shining with righteousness. you be somebody that turns other people to righteousness. There's something about pointing other people to righteousness. You just don't want to mess up. Lest when I have preached to others, Paul said, I myself should be a castaway. You be somebody that preaches to others and you'd be surprised the trouble that'll keep you out of. It's a good testimony. Soul winning. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. Much more the wicked and the sinner. Soul winning. And here's maybe the most practical of all and simple. And I call this one fast fleeing. Sometimes the best thing for you to do is just run away. You remember when uh, Potiphar's wife was trying to get Joseph to fall into sin? You know what he did? He just ran away. You say, boy, it got him in trouble, got him in jail. Yeah, but it kept him out of sin. And keeping him out of sin and it ended up a whole lot more important than getting him out of jail. Amen. It was when he was in jail that he got hooked up with Pharaoh who put him over the whole place. Right. So getting in jail was actually a blessing to him. I'm sure it wasn't fun. <laughs> Especially when the, I forget which one, the butler or the baker forgot him. And he ended up having to sit there two more years. I'm sure those two years weren't fun. But they put him just exactly where he needed to be. He had the most blessed life he could ever even imagine. He said he was so blessed when he reached that place of exaltation. He said, the Lord has made me forget all my toil and my trouble in my father's house. Let me tell you something. God can get you to a place where you are so blessed you even forget all the trouble you came from. Thank God one of these days we're headed to heaven where the troubles we came through won't even be worthy to even be remembered. <laughs> They'll be such a small matter. But fast fleeing, all right? Now the Bible tells you some things to flee, so let me run through those right quick as we, uh, as we close here. Alright, first of all, flee fornication. Joseph was running from fornication. That's what Potiphar's wife was after. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says, flee fornication. 
Every sin that a man doeth is, is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. You start messing around with sexual sin outside of marriage, I'll guarantee you all you're doing is hurting you. It's going to hurt your mind. It's going to hurt your body. It's going to hurt your joy in the Lord. It's going to hurt your testimony. It's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to hurt you in so many ways. It's going to hurt your relationship with your children. It's going to hurt you in so many ways. I can't even think of all of them. If I tried to list them all, I'd forget some of them. If you commit fornication, you are sinning against your own silly self. You're just being a silly savage. Some TV show or movie had the silly savage on it. I can't even remember where it came from. I hope it wasn't something dirty. <laughs> but that just popped into my mind. Hey, all you're doing is sinning against yourself. You think you want that? No, you don't. I'm on your You see a situation with fornication? You better run. That's not Brother Bob's opinion. That's 1 Corinthians 6.18. All right, I'll tell you another one. Flee idolatry. When it comes to some God coming up between you and the right God, the God of the Bible, you flee from it. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. You see something where you're worshiping the wrong thing, false worship or something else is taking God's place in your heart, you run from it. You're starting to love any sort of entertainment or any sort of money making or any sort of anything to the place it's taking God's place, you run away from that step before it gets a hold of your heart. Flee fornication, flee idolatry. Here's one. Flee youthful lusts. Now, youthful lusts don't necessarily have to include fornication. You can do plenty of lusting and not actually fornicate. These little electronic screens get a lot of covetousness and lusting fired up inside of you. Oh, yes. And you may not actually end up in fornication, but boy, the lust is sure in there. The Bible warns a young man in Proverbs, lust not after her beauty in thy heart. Flee it. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee fornication. Flee idolatry. Flee youthful lusts. Here's a great one. Flee the love of money. We're in America. We push the almighty dollar. Everything in life for some people is how they can save 50 cents or earn an extra 50 cents. And don't get me wrong, I'm not preaching against that. If you can save 50 cents or earn an extra 50 cents, that's a great thing. Until you love it. But the minute you love it, it will wreck your life, your heart, your mind. As long as you're just doing it because it's a good common sense thing and it'll save me a little or it'll make me a little. As long as you can look at it with that attitude, you're okay. You're just making some money so you can provide for your family. God gave you that opportunity. Praise the Lord for it. But the minute it gets a hold of your heart, the minute you start shaking a little bit, oh, I can save some money here. Oh, I can make some more money here. Once it rules your life, money is a great servant, but it is a horrible master. Amen. Once it rules the dis every decision you make and the joy you have, and when you lose some money, you go home and worry about it. Like some people go home and worry about their favorite team losing the ball game because they're about equally stupid. Uh, once it starts ruling your heart, oh, it's in a bad place. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If you love money, it will affect you being faithful to the faith of Jesus Christ. If you love money, it will bring you sorrows. There is plenty of person that for the thrill of winning something in gambling, lost a bunch and had many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, do what? Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, etc. Flee it. You know why? Because once that love of money gets a hold of you, it'll take over you like about any addiction there can be. How to strive for sinlessness? Bible reading. Promise claiming. Dead reckoning. Instant praying. Blood pleading. That's my favorite. Thanksgiving. Soul winning. Fast flee. Flee fornication, flee idolatry, flee youthful lusts, and flee the love of money. Don't let, don't let it get in your heart. You can make a little, make it. You can provide for your family, praise God. You can buy something you like, buy it. But don't let it rule your heart. Don't fall in love with it. All right, I hope those are some practical things that will be a blessing and help to you.